Game Week has finally arrived. Time to preview the top matchups of the opening weekend. Let's get into it. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts! Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man! I think Notre Dame got it on Put it on the board for Bama. Country pulls free! The Hitler's got it on the deflection! Mercy's got to score! It's picked off! Breaks free, they won't catch him, I don't believe! Fires to the end zone! Touchdown! He's going for the corner! He's got it! There goes Davis! Oh my god! Davis! It's caught! It's caught! It's caught! Oh, is that a good game or what? Finally, game week. Week one, just about to take place this weekend. I could not be more excited, guys. Honestly, this is like every year. This is like the most anticipating week of my life, and it happens every year at this time. So that didn't really make sense. But when you're this excited, nothing you say makes sense. We have, for the third year in a row, a tremendous opening slate of games for week one. That includes some awesome kickoff classics at neutral site games and a handful of other amazing games. To break down the slate, let's start with the neutral site kickoff games. We have number 6, Washington, versus number 9, Auburn. That's in Atlanta. We have number 17, West Virginia, versus Tennessee. That's in Charlotte. Number 1, Alabama, is playing Louisville in Orlando. Number 8, Miami, plays number 25, LSU. That's in Arlington. And then we have some other great games like number 14, Michigan, at number 12, Notre Dame, FAU, at number 7, Oklahoma, and on Monday night, we have number 20, Virginia Tech, at number 19, Florida State. Those are going to be all the games that I'm going to break down. Uh, there are some other decent games, uh, some honorable mentions like number 23, Texas, at Maryland should be a decent one, Ole Miss versus Texas Tech, that's in Houston. North Carolina at California should also be a good one. But I'm going to stick to the main big matchups here. And I'm going to start off with the team and the game that always gets played, and that's Alabama versus Louisville. Alabama, since 2008, has always played in one of these kickoff classic neutral site games. I think maybe in 2011 they were at Penn State, which is still a big matchup, but it wasn't neutral site. But regardless, Alabama always finds themselves in one of these matchups to start the year, and they are undefeated in those games. They always have tremendous success. This year should not be much different. Alabama is loaded on offense. It's Nick Saban. The defense is going to be fine. And Louisville is coming off of a year where... Their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback is gone. They're sort of rebuilding. And I would say that of all of the kickoff games Alabama has played under Nick Saban since 2008, that this is probably, on paper, going into the season, the weakest opponent. Um, They've played non-ranked teams before, like in 2014 when they played West Virginia, or I think one of the years they played Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech was unranked, but... It's still a quality opponent. It's still a neutral site game. It's the first game of the season. So I'm not expecting Alabama to go in there and blow their socks off, although I would not be surprised at all if that happens because Alabama has done that to really highly ranked teams in these opening games. But 
I just don't think Louisville has the defense to play with Alabama. As I've talked about in the season preview, Alabama's offense should be just ridiculously explosive this year. Regardless of where they decide to go at quarterback, whether it's Jalen Hurts or most likely, I think, Tua Tunga-Vailoa, their entire offensive line is back. They're going to be blocking well for the quarterback during passes and opening up big holes for their three-star running backs and Damian Harris, Najee Harris, and then Josh Jacobs. Um, their receivers are extremely talented. Devontae Smith is back. He's a true sophomore. He's who caught the game-winning touchdown pass of the national championship game. They have Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, two other true sophomores that are excellent receivers and excellent athletes that will be back out there. And everything about this game pretty much says that Alabama should get the nod. Louisville doesn't really have the defense, I think, that they need to either one, get pressure on the quarterback, or two, stop the run. And when you're playing Alabama, you have to stop the run or they won't even have to throw to beat you. And on top of that, unlike a lot of other Alabama teams in the past, this Alabama team, even if you do shut down the run, if you're lucky enough to do that, Tua seems like he's going to be able to sit back there and pick you apart with his arm, which is something new for Alabama teams under Nick Saban that we haven't really seen so Louisville not only would have to be excellent at stopping the run, they then would also have to be able to pin their ears back and go sack the quarterback, put pressure on the quarterback, and I just don't see them being able to do either of those two things, but even if they can pull one of them off, they're not going to be able to do the other one very successfully. I would say that with this game, if you want to entertain the idea of the possible Louisville upset, and I'm not saying that that's impossible. Look, it's week one, anything can happen. But here's where I'll give you two scenarios where I think that that's possible. Number one is if Alabama starts slow due to Nick Saban doing what he has done in these quarterback situations by playing both QBs early, that could cause some of the team chemistry on offense to not be as high. And if Alabama's offense doesn't get off to the fastest start, the only place I see that being a little bit troublesome is Alabama's defense is basically replacing their entire secondary. Six starters gone from their secondary, which obviously included, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick last year. And Bobby Petrino, the Louisville coach, he is a pretty good air raid offensive play caller. I actually think that Louisville's offense as a whole might be more productive this year now that Lamar Jackson is gone. As talented as he was and as electric as he was, he didn't really provide Petrino with the proper set of skills to run his offense the way he likes to run it. Uh, you look at when he, he was at Louisville back in like 2006 with Brian Brom at quarterback or when he was at Arkansas, the Ryan Mallett teams with all the receivers they had there. That's the style of play that Petrino likes to run. And I could easily see a scenario where Louisville gets a couple of early touchdowns moving the ball up and down the field in the passing game. And if Alabama's offense isn't matching that right away and Louisville all of a sudden is up 14 to 6 going into halftime or partially through the second quarter, that's going to give them hope. And when you have hope, you can do almost anything, especially in college football. So not much to break down with this matchup. Honestly, I think it's a no-brainer. You got to go with Alabama here. They're undefeated in these games. Every year, someone thinks... Maybe this is the year they lose that opening game, like last year when they played Florida State, who was ranked number three going into that game, and everybody thought, okay, if they're going to lose one, it could be this one, but no, 
That game was very close all the way through the end of the third quarter, but Alabama still found a way to kind of run away with that game, even last year. So I really don't see Alabama slipping up in this game. The only other, I guess, argument you can make is because Louisville is probably the least talented team they've faced in this opening game. They're kind of used to these big matchups, highly hyped up, where this one isn't as hyped up as some of the previous Alabama kickoff games have been, so maybe they sleep on Louisville a a little bit. But Nick Saban is the one coach that usually doesn't let his team sleep on anybody, so I'm still going with Alabama in this game, although I do think it'll be a little closer than the experts have it. I think Louisville will get some early touchdowns throwing the football, and then Alabama will do what they normally do, which is force some turnovers, shove the ball down your throat, and eventually you're going to get too tired and you're not going to be able to cover them. So I'm picking Alabama in this game, and it should be a good opportunity for us to see what this new Alabama offense is going to look like going forward. But now let's segue into another matchup. Let's see, I'm kind of just going randomly here. This is in no particular order, but let's go to the West Virginia-Tennessee game in Charlotte. This game is pretty interesting because... Although I would say West Virginia should be a pretty heavy favorite in this game, Tennessee definitely brings some talent on defense, which is the one thing you need to match West Virginia. West Virginia doesn't really play defense, but Tennessee has pretty much no offensive firepower, at least that we're aware of yet. And that's why this game I feel like is going to be in West Virginia's favor because West Virginia offense is going to be very explosive. Will Greer returns. A lot of people think he's the best quarterback in the country. That might be a stretch, but he is very talented. He's probably the best quarterback in the Big 12 now that Baker Mayfield's gone. And he should also go fairly high in the NFL draft if he has as good of a season this year as he did last year. Jeremy Pruitt, the new new coach at Tennessee, he is a defensive mastermind. That's where I feel like Tennessee has a slight chance in this game because if Jeremy Pruitt can, one, motivate his defense, but two, come up with a scheme that puts West Virginia in a tight box, if Tennessee is able to get some points on the board and West Virginia can't score like they want to, that's pretty much the only thing that's going to give Tennessee a chance in this game. But look for Will Greer to make make all the throws, make some big plays. Last year, West Virginia played Virginia Tech in their opener. Virginia Tech, I think, was a lot better in that game than Tennessee's going to be going into this game. And West Virginia did lose that game, but it was very close. Probably one of the better kickoff games of last last year. Will Greer's going to have two of his top three receivers back from last year and Gary Jennings. And then David Sills, who's one of my favorite wide receivers right now. uh, He's going to stretch the field. Him with the arm talent of Will Greer should be a bad matchup for pretty much all teams. And even though I'm sure Jeremy Pruitt's going to have the Tennessee defense improved especially the secondary because that's really his specialty I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up with all the big plays that West Virginia is capable of making in this game really Tennessee's only chance I think is to have their defensive line play well enough to get some serious pressure on Will Greer if they can get to him force him into some mistakes then one thing we know Jeremy Pruitt defenses do is get turnovers Um, When Jeremy Pruitt was at Florida State in 2013, that defense had a lot of turnovers. And then he went to Georgia in 14. That defense had some good turnovers. And then the last several years in Alabama, they had a lot of turnovers, obviously. So look for the Tennessee defense. If 
the plays are dialed up right to force turnovers, but I don't think that's going to happen unless they can seriously get some pressure on Will Greer early and often and then maintain that pressure throughout the game. Obviously, they have to do some things in offense if they want to win as well. And they should have a shot there because West Virginia's defense is not that good. I think they finished 106 in the country last year. One thing they were really not good at last year was stopping the run. That is single-handedly why they lost to Oklahoma State and to TCU last year. Especially if you look at the Oklahoma State game from last year, West Virginia was doing very well. They were shutting down Rudolph in the passing game, but they kept giving up big run after big run, and that's pretty much what did them in. So if Tennessee can get some stuff going on the ground, then maybe look for this game to be a shootout. Or if they can, like I said, get some things going on defense on top of that, that would give them a chance to win this game. However, I do not see Tennessee winning this game. I think West Virginia will pull away in the second half of this game and win by at least 17 points. That's what I see it. I think it's going to be a rough year for Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt's first year, although the upside is good. West Virginia, I think, is the second best team in the in the Big 12 this year. Look for them to challenge Oklahoma later on. And West Virginia really needs this win because their end-of-the-season gauntlet is just brutal. Not only do they have to go to NC State on September 15th, but they end the season with their last four games being at Texas, TCU, at Oklahoma State, and then Oklahoma. That is a pretty brutal way to end your Big 12 slate. So that's one of the main reasons why I don't think West Virginia really has a chance at the playoff this year is because on top of opening with Tennessee, which is no give me for West Virginia, they have to go to NC State, and then those last four games I mentioned all being in a row really is going to make it hard for them to win all four of those games. So that's why I think a win in this game would be huge for them. They really need this win. I The coaches know that they need this win to start out the season hot and build some confidence. And I just don't think that Tennessee has the pieces right now to stop an offense of this caliber week one. So look for West Virginia to get it done here. Now, fairly quickly, I want to talk about a game. This is more like an upset alert game. I'm not going to break this one down too much, but FAU, Florida Atlantic, at Oklahoma. I don't think anyone really has this game on the radar. They're kind of looking at it as like Oklahoma playing a patsy, sort of. But FAU was not a patsy. I don't expect them to beat Oklahoma, but Lane Kiffin probably has been really gearing up for this game. I think if Lane Kiffin wins this game, it pretty much guarantees him a shot at a Power 5 job when the year's over, which even if he loses this game, he'll probably still get. But I just can really see Lane Kiffin's probably been sitting there all summer scheming for a way to get this upset on the road. That would be huge. Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma coach, I'm guessing he's probably prepared for this game and taking it very seriously, but you never know. Um, Oklahoma is breaking in a brand new quarterback with Baker Mayfield gone, Kyler Murray. A lot of people are questioning Tyler, Kyler Murray's toughness because he's already guaranteed to go to the Major League Baseball, and he said this is going to be his only year playing college football. So with all that guaranteed money in baseball, how much is he really going to be putting his body on the line? We don't know. Um, not too much to take away from this game, but again, I just want people to be aware that if there's a possible upset brewing week one, 
look for number seven, Oklahoma, to go down possibly to FAU. I'm not picking that to happen. I think Oklahoma will get it done. But this game's definitely going to be a little closer than people realize, I think. Okay, now it starts to get fun. I know I haven't broken down those last three games super extensively, but these next games to talk about are going to have a lot more detail going in. So let's talk about one of the biggest games of the weekend by far, number six, Washington, versus number nine, Auburn. Again, this game is in Atlanta, and right off the bat, I'm just going to say I'm picking Washington in this game. And the number one reason why I'm picking Washington on top of having all the tools necessary on offense and defense to get it done is Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson doesn't lose these type of games. Anytime Chris Peterson has had a team with time off, whether that be a big opener kickoff game or going into a big bowl game, he usually gets the job done with the exception of losing the playoff game to Alabama back in 2016. But that's just because no matter what Washington did, they just were not talented enough to get that done. But if you look at Chris Peterson's track record in these types of games, I broke these down in the preview, but I think it's worth looking at again. 2006 season when they played in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma, won that game in overtime. No one gave them a shot there. Um, In 2009, their home opener against Oregon, everybody thought Oregon was going to dominate that game. Boise State was able to hold that offense down and win 19-8. Then later that year, they went to the Fiesta Bowl again, played number three TCU, won that game 17-10. 2010, this is where the kickoff game started to come in. In 2010, they played that big kickoff game against Virginia Tech, and they won 33-30. In 2011, they had the big kickoff game against Georgia. That was in Atlanta, just like this game, and they won that one 35-21. So... Coaching edge, I definitely am giving to Washington with Chris Peterson, especially because Auburn starts slow most years. Gus Malzahn's thing has kind of been starting slow. You even look at the year they made the national championship game in 2013. They lost a game early to LSU that year, and then they slowly came on towards the end of the season, got hot. You could look at even last year. They lost to Clemson early on on the road, which isn't really starting slow because Clemson was a tremendous team, but they... They didn't look nearly as good in that game as they did the rest of the season. They also got beat by LSU. And then they came on really, really hot, blowing out Georgia, pretty much keeping Alabama from doing anything on offense. And then they did obviously lose that SEC championship game and then their bowl game. But they almost made the playoff as a two-loss team last year. So I just feel like, especially because Gus Malzahn's offense is a quote-unquote system-style offense, Chris Peterson has probably just been watching film nonstop, having his team prepared. And even though one of Auburn's strengths this year is on top of rushing the ball like they always do with Jared Stidham, they're, they're throwing the ball. And Auburn has a bunch of receivers back. But Washington's secondary is just very, very, very good. You know, Austin Joyner leads that crew um, along with Elijah Molden, you know, Jordan Miller, Byron Murphy. They have... Just a lot of talent back there in the secondary. They're very disciplined. I don't think they're going to let Stidham pick them apart. Stidham's going to really have to just make NFL throws into tight windows if he's going to get big yards against Washington. And Washington knows that if they can shut down the run game or limit the run game and put Auburn in obvious passing situations, their secondary is going to take over. So Auburn has to win the battle up front which I think they do have a chance to do because 
Washington is replacing Villavede up front, their monster defensive tackle from a year ago. So that's where I really think Auburn does have a chance to keep their run game strong. But if the Washington defensive front does step up and they play well in this game and they do limit the Auburn run attack, then Auburn's going to be in real trouble. Because although Jared Stidham has a lot of talent, this secondary is just not going to be an easy one to make those tough throws against. Like I said, he's going to have to be really on point. Now, one area where Washington is going to have to be careful is kind of in the similar boat is Jake Browning is not the type of quarterback that's just going to flat out dominate a good defense either. However, one of Auburn's weaknesses right now, I think, going into this season is their questions in the secondary. Now, they're talented back there, but they do lack experience and they don't have depth. And it's always in week one where we see people get injured, especially defensive backs, not necessarily big injuries, but cramps. It's hard for DBs to go the entire game in these early matchups in the season. Luckily, this game is indoors, so that shouldn't be as big of an issue. But Browning is good enough to get it done, nevertheless. So this game is going to be probably, I think, one of the most entertaining this year. And it means a lot for both teams. I don't think it's a must-win. A lot of people are saying Washington has to win this game or the Pac-12 is instantly out, which I don't agree with that because I think if Aub- if uh, Washington lost this game, assuming Auburn then comes on a little strong and that loss looks decent, then if Washington were to run the table being an 11-1 Pac-12 team, I think they're still making the playoff with that record unless there's four other one-loss teams that have better resumes obviously that is where they could run into trouble but for the most part this game as long as it's competitive for either team's going to be fine obviously Auburn's going to have plenty of opportunities after this game to make a name for themselves with their tough schedule you know they still play LSU at Mississippi State Texas A&M at Georgia and at Alabama later in the year so they'll have plenty of opportunities but that's also why Auburn really needs this win because if they lose this game it's going to be really hard for them to run the table through that SEC gauntlet. And if they win this game, they do give themselves the opportunity to maybe slip up on one of those SEC games and still get in with one loss with a really strong uh, opening week win over Washington. So really looking forward to this game. I think it's going to be extremely entertaining. Um, basically, it comes down to which quarterback's going to make the better throws, but I do think Jared Stidham's a better quarterback. However, Browning has the easier task going up against an Auburn secondary, which is nowhere near as much talented as Washington's secondary. I really think Washington has the best secondary in the country when you combine skill, experience, and coaching. They're just very disciplined. They're not the type of secondary that's going to get burned. They're going to make you work for everything. It's really the defensive line and the linebackers to look out for up front with Washington because again if they can't stop the run then it doesn't matter how good their secondary is if they're just getting run all over the place which is what Auburn loves to do to most teams then the secondary is not going to even have a chance to make an impact in this game so Washington has to step up and stop the run they have to do that early and often if they give their secondary the chance to make plays on the ball force some turnovers force Jared Stidham into making bad decisions and then Washington should have this game. I am picking Washington to win this game. I think it's going to be close, but I see Washington winning this game anywhere from three to 10 points. But this game is a total toss up to me at the end of the day. Wouldn't be surprised with 
whoever won this game. I don't see one of these teams blowing out the other. I've tried to see that happening. I think this is kind of contrary to what I've been saying, but I feel like if one team was going to blow out another, it would be Auburn. If Auburn's run game is going strong and Washington can't stop the run game and Auburn's defense plays well enough, then I could see them slowly building on the points without letting Washington score. But either way, this game's going to be super fun to watch. Really looking forward to this one. And now, let's go over to the last neutral site kickoff game that's being played. And that is the game in D Dallas, or in Arlington, at Jerry World, which is number 8 Miami, taking on number 25 LSU. And that is just a really cool matchup. Miami-LSU, we haven't seen that that often. I think they played each other in a bowl game, I want to say maybe like 2004, something like that. And I really like Miami in this game. Obviously, I think Miami is a playoff team this year, as I said back in my preview. I think this is going to be a coming out party for Miami. I don't expect them to just blow out LSU, but I think it's going to be one of those games where they slowly start to pull away at the end and show off their talent, both on offense and defense. Both of these defenses are extremely talented, so I think the this game's going to be kind of a slow start. Look for both defenses to be really hungry, getting after it, making plays, if someone makes a lot of turnovers early, that could swing the game in that team's favor. I really think that's LSU's only chance in this game, honestly, is them getting a couple turnovers early, a couple breaks. Then I could see this game really starting to even out and anyone has a shot. But as long as Miami doesn't make the turnovers and they do what they did last year, which is force turnovers, then I really see this game sliding their way. The problem is, is... LSU might actually have the edge in quarterback here as Jake Burrow has just transferred there from Ohio State and he's now the starter. For those who don't know, Burrow was the backup at Ohio State. He was a pretty touted guy coming out of high school and he ended up losing the starting role this year to Dwayne Haskins. Ohio State also had another talented freshman coming in and Tate Martell. So he decided to come down to LSU because LSU never has a quarterback. That's like something they hardly ever have. And when they do, it's usually is one of these grad transfers coming in, like when Zap Mettenberger came in a couple years back. So we still don't know how good Burrow is. If Burrow's really good, that changes everything. Then LSU might have a slight edge here because Miami, while Malik Rozier is a decent quarterback and he can get some things done, he's very limited, or at least last year he showed that he was very limited. And... If the game comes down to him making plays, then LSU is going to have a real shot to win this game. But I think there's just too much around Malik Rozier for him to just absolutely fail. There are plenty of talented receivers for Miami. Look for Amon Richards to have a coming out party again and play like he did his freshman year. Jeff Thomas could make some big plays. And then Miami running the ball is going to be more improved than I think they were even last year. Travis Homer leading the way should have some big runs in this game. But it's really the Miami defense that I think is going to have the slight edge because as good as Burrow might be, this Miami defense is going to force him to make a couple mistakes. He's going to throw some interceptions. Jaquan Johnson and Michael Jackson back there, they each had four interceptions last year and look for them to come right out the gate this year hungry for the football, hungry to force turnovers, that turnover chain, everybody on the Miami defense wants to wear that chain. 
and I definitely think we're going to see it pulled out a couple of times in this LSU game. I also give the coaching edge to Miami here. Mark Rick, I think, is a, is a much better coach than Ed Orgeron has proven to be so far. I mean, Ed Orgeron just hasn't really won a big game yet. Nothing too notable that we can really say, wow. I think his best coaching performance was probably last year when, when they were able to hold Alabama's offense in check for most of that first half. But still, they didn't really come that close to getting that, that W. And... Like I said, both these teams are, are really talented. LSU has a lot of talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But I think Miami just has more talent right now. And like I said, I think Miami's headed to the playoff this year, or at least the ACC championship game once again. And they're hungry. They're ready. There is that big if factor, though, when it comes to Malik Rozier playing quarterback for Miami. If he struggles, LSU has more than a chance they would probably then have the edge in that game. And then there's also the big X factor on how good is Burrow going to be playing quarterback for LSU. If he comes in and is just lighting it up and is, you know, the quarterback that LSU fans expect him to be, then Miami might actually be in some trouble here. So because we don't know what Burrow is going to be, I am still leaning strong towards Miami. I think we'll find out pretty quickly what Burrow is, but I think Mark Rick is prepared for Burrow to be really explosive. I'm sure he's been hyping up Burrow to his defense to make them think that, you know, he's going to have a lot of talent. And I really think that's the only way that LSU gets this done because for the first time in what feels like over a decade or more, LSU doesn't have some first-round NFL running back in their backfield. Usually they have like two or three really good running backs. Uh, running backs at LSU is usually similar to like what Alabama has in their backfield, but that's not the case this year. Maybe someone will emerge that we don't know of yet, but right now there's no serious threat at running back. The offensive line I don't think is what they have been, you know, in the last, you know, 10 years under less miles when they had those really strong running attacks. So Burrow is going to have to be better than LSU quarterbacks usually are to get this win, and we just don't know what he is yet. That's why I really think Miami has the edge here. They're going to force him, game one, to come out and beat them. And this is a very hard defense for any quarterback, let alone one who's never made a start before, to come out against. Now, like I said, on the other side of the ball, Malik Rozier is going to be facing the exact same problem. We already know what Malik Rozier is, and that is nothing special when it comes to throwing the ball. He's going to have to run the ball and make some plays with his legs, I think. This game's just going to be a stalemate when it all comes down to it. I don't see this being a high-scoring game. I think there will still be some explosive plays, but it's going to be one of those games where you have like one-yard gains, two-yard gains, a lot of punts, and then Miami makes a giant play with the receiver and scores a touchdown, and then nothing happens again for like 10 minutes. And LSU's defense is really good, and... Dave Aranda is going to have them ready to go. He is a very good defensive coordinator. And if he can find ways to make Malik Rozier make the mistakes while Joe Burrow doesn't make mistakes, then LSU is going to have the edge. So basically the X factor in this game is which quarterback is going to make the mistake first. And it doesn't have to be the quarterback. Basically, which offense is going to have more turnovers it, this game is going to come down to field position and turnovers, just like a lot of football games do. But really specifically, that's what this game is going to come down to. If 
I think this game will be very similar to the Alabama-Florida State game last year, where kind of a slugfest, very low scoring. I think it was like 10-7 to all the way up until late in the third quarter when Florida State started to make mistake after mistake after mistake. We're talking about a blocked punt, followed by a kick return fumble, which immediately led to points, and then back-to-back Florida State interceptions. That's kind of how I see this game playing out. It's going to be a slugfest until the turnovers start happening, and if someone can use those turnovers to really start putting it on, that's where the the fear would come in for that team. And that's, again, why I am siding with Miami, because they have a history of once they start to force turnovers, they usually start to force back-to-back-to-back turnovers, and that snowball of turnovers just keeps rolling. And if Joe Burrow gets into a situation where he starts to question himself, he starts to get uncomfortable, Miami's defense is going to take full advantage of that and look for them to make just enough turnovers to get this win. I am taking Miami to win this game 20-17. to And now, segueing into a game that I am super excited about on a personal level because I will be there, and that is the Monday night game, which features number 19 Florida State at home against number 20 Virginia Tech. And... This is a game that I've gone back and forth on a lot because originally I felt really good about Virginia Tech in this game, but they have had a pretty bad offseason. I think they've lost like 11 scholarship guys over the offseason on defense. Some of that was injuries. Some of that was academic issues, suspensions, guys getting kicked off the team. Even their quarterback, Josh Jackson, who was a really good redshirt freshman last year, they question his eligibility for a little bit, and, and he will be fine. He is playing. But unfortunately, what that's done to a lot of the Florida State fans is made them think that there's really no way they can lose this game. I mean, I listen to Florida State podcasts all the time, Jeff Cameron Show and Wake Up War Chant, and they're both very confident about this game. And I would say they're a little too confident because although, yes, it seems like on paper Florida State will have more talent and I can see where they think that Florida State does have the edge here. But one thing that Virginia Tech does have still is a pretty good defensive line, and one thing that Florida State still has as a huge question mark is their offensive line, which hasn't been that good the last couple of years. They haven't been able to keep their quarterbacks upright. Now, with this new system that Willie Taggart has installed, the offensive line, I think, will be much improved just based on the fact that they won't have to do as much in this offense as they were asked to under Jimbo Fisher. Under Jimbo Fisher's offense, the offensive line had to hold up for a long time to let the quarterbacks throw the ball. And in this new Gulf Coast offense that Willie Taggart has installed, I don't think the offensive line is going to be asked to do as much. But that doesn't change the fact that they still have to perform at a high level to give their quarterback time. Now, if Florida State's offensive line does play well, then I definitely think Florida State has the edge in this game because Virginia Tech is replacing a lot of guys in the secondary. They don't have a lot of experience back there at all, and Florida State does have a lot of weapons at wide receiver. Nyquan Murray is the veteran. He is a speedster. He is shifty. He can run routes very well. He's going to get it done. And then they have several upcomers that people are just really, really excited about, Um, most notably... Tamarion Terry, which I've already told you guys to write that name down. I think this guy's going to have a breakout season, be one of the best receivers in the country over the next couple years as long as 
the quarterbacks at Florida State aren't getting sacked all the time and they can get the ball to him. And then also DJ Matthews is another speedster on the outside to look out for. Florida State also still has Keith Gavin, who's a proven guy that can make some plays. He hasn't had that breakout season yet, but the talent is there. They also have a couple of freshmen coming in that are supposed to be highly touted. And unlike before, where, again, in the Jimbo Fisher offense, these talented receivers didn't have or had a very hard time getting on the field as freshmen because they had to learn so much, Willie Taggart's motto is lethal simplicity. So he's just going to let these athletes get into space and do their thing. So look for freshman receivers to play in this game. Also, let's not forget the running backs at Florida State, Cam Akers, who should have a phenomenal year this year. Last year, he was very good as a true freshman, probably the best true freshman running back in the country next to maybe DeAndre Swift at Georgia. But he's going to have an even bigger year this year, and he also has help. Jacquez Patrick is back. He's a senior. He is like the goal line back, the bruiser, the big-time heavy runner. And then another freshman that didn't play last year that was also a highly touted five-star recruit is Kalen LeBourne. He's very good. I think all three of those running backs are going to have a lot of yards this year. And as long as the offensive line blocks, which Florida State hasn't had a problem running the ball with their offensive line. It's just been pass protection. Now, I do give the coaching edge in this game to Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech for a couple of reasons. One, I think Justin Fuente is a very good coach, and this is his third year at Virginia Tech. And although it's kind of a a rebuilding year because... They did lose a lot of veterans. I think he's a proven quarterback developer. If you look what he did with Paxton Lynch at Memphis, each year there was significant improvement. And Josh Jackson, Virginia Tech's quarterback, as a redshirt freshman last year was pretty good, especially early on. Early on in the season, Josh Jackson was honestly phenomenal. He really started to make you question him towards the end there. But I have no doubt that Fuente has got him improved. And although he lost his leading pass catcher last year in Cam Phillips, who was phenomenal, like the next nine receivers are all back. And I think because Jackson will have improved, he will be able to distribute the ball to a number of pretty good wide receivers that will all be eager to get their their feet dirty in this game. So honestly, I really have a tough time picking this game. I, I do think Florida State has the slight edge being at home, and I do think they have the edge in talent. Like I said, if um, if Virginia Tech can have a really strong performance by their defensive line and limit Florida State's running ability and give their not-so-experienced secondary in these obvious passing downs, then I definitely think they have a chance here. But if Florida State is running the ball well, I really don't see Virginia Tech's defense stopping them because if they have to come up on the box, then that inexperienced secondary is not going to be able to defend the pass with all the talent that Florida State has at receiver, I just think that's going to be too much for them to ask. And I think Florida State's defense is very good, especially in the secondary. Florida State probably has one of the better secondaries in the country talent-wise next to you know Washington, Miami. So look for them to make some plays. If Josh Jackson is playing similar to how he did towards the end of last season, he's going to throw some picks, he's going to make some mistakes, and the Florida State secondary will make you pay for that florida state does have questions i think at linebacker and that's why i think virginia tech might be able to establish a run game and if virginia tech you know it's kind of what i just said about florida state if they're establishing their run game well then 
Florida State defensive backs are going to have to come up, and that's going to give Josh Jackson a chance to make throws down the field as well. So it's kind of the same story for both these teams. And then it comes down to who prepared better. And that's where I kind of do lean coaching-wise towards Justin Fuente, although I am taking Florida State to win this game. I think it's going to be very close. I don't think it's going to be as easy as Florida State fans think it is, but I do think Florida State has the slight edge in this game when it comes to talent. I think they're very hungry, and they're ready to get it done. And now I'm going to wrap it up with what is probably the biggest game of the weekend, in my opinion, one of the ones I am most excited for, and that is number 12, Notre Dame, at home against number 14, Michigan. The Notre Dame-Michigan game, Always a really fun, entertaining game. I'm really glad they renewed this rivalry for this year. I've been watching some old Notre Dame-Michigan games in preparation for this upcoming game. I just got to say real quick that that 1990 game was awesome. And, of course, that 2011 game was just such a classic. Hopefully, we get another good classic on Saturday. Now, these two teams, I think, are very, very similar. They both have a lot of the same strengths and same same weaknesses both of them are returning a stingy experienced veteran defense that is going to make you work for everything both of them have questionable offensive lines Notre Dame had two other guys go high in the NFL draft last year while Michigan didn't have the strongest offensive line last year so Michigan just needs to improve while Notre Dame just needs to replace some talent which they usually do a really good job of it's actually very simple I think Just like the Miami-LSU game, this game is going to come down to who makes the most turnovers and what quarterback steps up. Now, I think most people are leaning on Michigan winning this game because they think that they have the edge at quarterback, and that very well could be true. Shea Patterson transfers in from Old Miss. He threw for 2,259 yards last year and 17 touchdowns, and I think he only had like seven starts. So everybody's very high on that. They think that that's the missing key to Michigan being very successful, that this is finally the year for Harbaugh. I do think Michigan's going to be very good this year, and their quarterback play will be drastically improved. However, I don't think Shea Patterson is going to be quite the quarterback that everyone is thinking he's going to be. I think he's coming from an air raid system at Ole Miss where all he did was throw the ball nonstop. We're, We're talking something very similar to Mike Leach at Washington State, or like what Cliff Kingsbury runs down at Texas Tech. So I don't think that that's necessarily going to transfer over exactly how people think it will. I don't think he's just going to be this master pro-style passer that can really fit that ball into tight windows against a good defense, which is what he's going to be playing when he goes up against Notre Dame. That being said, though, just like that LSU-Miami game, actually, It's kind of the same scenario because Michigan is kind of like LSU where Joe Burrow comes in, only this time it's Shea Patterson. So we have that transfer quarterback that a lot of people think could be really good where Notre Dame, just like Miami, has an established quarterback with Brian Wimbush if he does end up getting the edge over Ian Book where he is good, but we also know that he has his limitations. He's not a guy, we already know that he's not a guy that is going to be making those super tight throws into windows against a really good defense, which Michigan has. So this game is really going to come down to, again, just like the Miami LSU game, of who is going to make the least amount of mistakes, which team can weather the storm and not turn the ball over and 
that is why I actually am picking Notre Dame in this game because I think that because of Shea Patterson and this confidence that Michigan's going to have in their passing game, they're going to be throwing the ball more, which means they have a bigger chance to, one, throw interceptions, and two, get sacked and have fumbles be caused, where Notre Dame is probably going to sit back, play it safe. They have a quarterback that can run in Brian Wimbush. He can make plays on with his legs, which is going to keep the Michigan defense on a slight bigger edge, where Notre Dame just has to buckle up, win first down, put Michigan in those passing downs where they have to use Shea Patterson, and then from there, they're going to force him to make some mistakes where if you look at Notre Dame, I really see them running the ball slightly successfully and setting up shorter third downs, which gives them the option to do RPOs. And that's where I think Notre Dame is going to have the edge in this game. Because Brian Winbush can run the football, it's going to put the Michigan defense in a slightly harder position than the Notre Dame defense is going to be in, given the fact that I don't think Shea Patterson is just going to be able to sit back there and pick them apart with these super accurate throws. Also, this game is at Notre Dame. It's at night. There's going to be a pretty big home field advantage. That place is going to be rocking as it always would be for a Michigan-Notre Dame game. But I really see this game going a lot like the 2012 Michigan-Notre Dame game, which was also up in South Bend. In that game, you had Everett Golson just didn't really make any mistakes and let his team ease their way into the game while Michigan threw like at least three interceptions I want to say in that game and it was a very low scoring affair I think this game will also be a low scoring affair where Notre Dame sits back and waits and plays the field position game while they wait for the right time to put Michigan in a bad situation where they force some turnovers that being said the Michigan defense could easily do the exact same thing because they have the best passing defense returning from last year their whole secondary is back led by Labrit Hill David Long these guys are eager to force Notre Dame to make some mistakes I just don't think that Brian Kelly is going to let Brian Wimbush or give him the opportunities to make as many mistakes like I said they're going to run him more as long as he doesn't fumble the football they're not going to let him take as many shots downfield where I do see Harbaugh and offensive coordinator Jim McElwain giving Shea Patterson too many chances, and I think some of those are going to come back to bite Michigan in the butt, and that's why they're going to make slightly more turnovers than Notre Dame. Now, Michigan probably does have the edge when it comes to wide receivers as far as playmakers go. They have Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Tariq Black, I think, is destined to have a breakout year this year at Michigan. He was pretty good last year as a true freshman, Michigan just really didn't have a quarterback that could get him the ball. And Michigan, as the season progresses and Shea Patterson does get better, I think that's going to be his favorite target. So look for him to possibly make some big plays in this game. Notre Dame has good receivers too. You know, Miles Boykin is back, Chase Claypool, Chris Fink. These are all juniors and seniors that are experienced. They're disciplined route runners. And that's also why I think they have a slight edge here because while Michigan has better big-time playmakers, I think the Notre Dame defense is going to be disciplined and not give up those big plays where Notre Dame does have the receivers to, you know, get those those third-down slant routes in, get those out routes, slowly make their way down the field against a Michigan defense that is very talented but could become impatient. And then Notre Dame will wait for the right time to 
make the Michigan defense come up into the box after picking them apart down low, and then they actually have the chance to make some big plays downfield because of that, where I feel like the Michigan wide receivers aren't going to be quite as good as getting some of those, you know, those quick slants early, those those third down and short conversions, which is going to allow the Notre Dame defense to pin their ears back, come after the passer, and probably not let Michigan get into those downs where they can have a variety of play calls. They're going to be in obvious passing downs a lot more than Notre Dame, I think, which is going to make their defense look stronger against Michigan. And overall, I think this game is going to be a very close back-and-forth game. Look for a lot of turnovers in this game, probably by both teams, I think. I do see both of them making mistakes. You know, it's the first game, but... I think that Notre Dame has the slight edge. Again, I have Notre Dame in the playoff, so I really think they're going to get this win here. I think Michigan finally does take that step forward this year, and they do get some of those big wins, but I don't have them getting this one. I think they slip up in this game and lose to Notre Dame on the road before having a tremendous season, but I just think Notre Dame is slightly better right now, and I just kind of like the way that the pieces are going to fall. I really think it's going to fall into Notre Dame's favor in this game. So that's basically a wrap. Those are all the big games that I'm most excited for, that everyone's most excited for. Um, now we just get to sit back and watch them. You know, this weekend's awesome. You know, I might have been wrong about a lot of things. I might have been right about some things. It really doesn't matter to me. I'm just really looking forward to finally having the season start, watching football after, you know, nine months off, and I want to hear from you guys, you know, email me at letstalkcollegefootball at gmail.com. Tell me what games you guys are most excited about. If you have any questions, I'll try to get back to you guys. You know, if you're watching on YouTube, comment. Again, we're on iTunes now. SoundCloud is probably the best way to listen. Give me a like on Facebook. And yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I'm really excited. I hope everybody has an awesome opening weekend. I will be at that Florida State game, and I won't be getting back until Tuesday, so I probably will not have an episode come out until Wednesday. That's probably when you'll hear me break down the opening slates, but also it, it would have been hard to have an episode come out before that anyway, given the fact that we have a game on Sunday, that's when the LSU-Miami game is, and then the Florida State-Virginia Tech game is Monday night, so it wouldn't even really be until the end of Monday night that we would have a chance to digest the entire week one anyway so going forward i'll probably try to have you know the review of each week done by monday but this opening week it's going to be a little slower again also i'm you know i'm be traveling back from florida so just keep that in mind anyway thank you for listening and i hope everyone has a great opening weekend and i'll see you guys next week the world is